sacrifices. You've got to make sacrifices for your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Position with me, Tom Halpin. I'm delighted that the podcast is back on a regular schedule from now on with new episodes out each Wednesday. Today's guest is UK grappling star Owen Livesey. Over the last year, he's been one of the biggest new names on the pro grappling scene, and everyone's seen some of the spectacular throws he's been pulling off in competition. As well as winning many super fights this year, he also received a last-minute invitation to represent the UK at this year's ADCC. We had a great chat about his judo days where he was chasing Olympic qualification. He also shared some practical tips on how people can improve their stand-up and wrestling game. So there's a lot of great takeaways from this episode. I hope everyone enjoys it. So here we go, another episode of Inside Position with Owen Livesey. Hey Owen, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having us, mate. It's good to see you again, bud. Tell me about ADCC and how it went, because I know you got in just a couple of weeks out. How did the experience match the expectations? Uh, yeah, mate, it was just a bit of a crazy time. Like like I've said this on a few, a few podcasts and interviews that I've had in the past, like it's been a strange year, like good year, but strange year as in like, I wasn't really setting goals as a competitor. I'd only just opened my gym. Then we got put into the lockdown and then pretty short after the lockdown, we were try- just trying to build the gym back up. That was me, me priority. And I've just basically been training with all my mates and just teaching and joining in with the sparring that I was running myself, just solely because I enjoyed it. And I'm kind of one of them people who when when you feel in pretty good shape, I, I just feel like I might as well just compete. So I got offered a couple of matches and the matches went pretty well and I started looking more into ADCC. Uh, I thought the rule set suited me pretty well, so I thought I'd go and give the trials a go. Ended up getting silver in the trials, uh, but I did 99, which probably isn't my weight, but we'd only had a kid like three or four months prior, so my life was upside down a little bit. Um wasn't sleeping properly my diet had gone out the window a little bit I kind of went there with no expectations performed pretty well probably down to not really caring if such I didn't I didn't hold any expectations on the event at all but then obviously as you know you've got to win the trials to go to the world so I had no idea that so many people would actually pull out of the world like every time I was going on Instagram someone new had pulled out people were just tagging me in it and I was like I'm grateful that you're tagging me in it, but I'm not going to get a call up. Like, just thanks for doing it. But yeah, like, it's not going to happen. I had a match with Josh Hinger the week after ADCC anyway at Polaris, but that was at 88. So I was like training for that, keeping me weight down. But I could see all these people tagging me in ADCC for 99 and thinking, I, I really, I'd love to go, but I'm going to be giving about eight kilo away if I do. Yeah, and then I ended up getting the call, which was mental. I was in shape anyway, because obviously, like I said, I was training for Polaris the week after. So, yeah, mate, like, it was absolutely buzzing to get a chance and get out there and biggest stage of them all, really. And then, obviously, I got Canaan, which is a really tough draw. But it's a draw that I wanted. I wanted to feel that level. But, yeah, he's, ab- he's absolutely solid and it's a very, very, very tough round. Obviously, he went, he went on to win the tournament. So, I was buzzing to get out there, though. And how did he feel compared to maybe some of the high-level judo athletes that you've competed against or trained with before even? I was saying this, mate, to... Well, I've said it to a few people. Um, like, I've fought some very, very, very good people in judo. Like, I've lost to some very good people. I've beat some people. Like, 
Olympic medalists, world champions. But <sighs> Kanan was just outrageous, mate. Like, I, and on art, I have never felt anybody that strong. Never. To the point where I remember in somewhere in the middle of the match, he had me in a body lock. And he passed, he swept me and he passed up a body lock. And it's the first time ever I've been on my back, someone's had a body lock on me, and I've been thinking about getting to a better position just just so I could breathe rather than actually like <laughs> look to retain guard or sweep or get back to my feet. I was trying to find the position I could breathe from because I genuinely couldn't breathe. It was just... I've never felt anyone that strong in my life. You saw what he did to Craig in the final as well. Exactly, yeah. And Craig's obviously not a not a weak bloke. He's very unbelievable on the bottom and he's held him down for twenty minutes. Like it's just something else. If I was if I could get that chance again and I'd had a bit of time, I'd like to put a bit of time into actually going in a bit heavier. Like when when I was going to ADCC, I was fighting ninety nine, I was literally like I remember the way in was in the morning, so obviously they weigh in every day. So I weighed in on the first day, and I was sat in Starbucks in the Mandalay Bay Casino, eating porridge oats, having a hazelnut latte, and drinking one litre of orange juice, so it just shows a bit heavier on the scales. I was embarrassed, mate. It was like, everyone was absolutely enormous, and cutting down to weight, and I'm standing on the scales in the bathroom. I was showing a room with Shizinski who was cutting weight. 77 and I'm jumping on the scales in the bathroom I'm like 91 kilo I'm fighting under 99 and I was just thinking fuck I've got I've got to be a bit heavier than this so like I was like cramming food in me before weighing and I remember I walked in jumped on the scales and Mo said fucking hell mate you're light I was like yeah I am Mo and that, that's after a breakfast as well mate it's funny in a way that like the ADCC it's the biggest tournament we have in the sport and it's very professional, but at the same time, you have a lot of people getting invited two weeks out and a lot of chaos in the week leading up to it. It's just funny how how it mixes like the new sport aspects with trying to be more professional and more prestigious. But how would that compare to then the bigger judo tournaments you would have been doing in the past where you're planning it two years in advance, you're trying to qualify What's the buzz like trying to qualify for those? And have you had any disappointments in just missing out on qualifying for different judo events? Yeah, like I'd say, mate, it's genuinely completely different. And I do like, I do love that about jujitsu or or grappling. It's like there's almost, it's really strange. It's like things are planned, but they feel unplanned. um, (laughs) That's exactly how it is, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like with judo, obviously, you get your calendar Say say you're going to plan and try and get to the Olympic Games. You get your calendar four years out. Uh, the Olympic cycle is just over three years. So basically in that Olympic cycle, you're trying to get within the top 18 in the world, um, which in, which sounds realistic, but in judo, it's, it's a crazy sport worldwide, judo. It's like Tajikistan are unbelievable at judo, as are Uzbekistan and Mongolia and Countries that you don't really see in any other sports are phenomenal and some of the best countries in the world at judo. So to actually get in the top 18 in judo of the world is a very, very, very tough thing to do. So you kind of got to target tournaments throughout this three-year period. And obviously you've got to stay fit as much as you can all the way through that three years. Gets to the point where you're more or less competing every two weeks. 
and every tournament a medal gets you a certain amount of points. So these points get tallied up and they take your best five results at the end. So say I've been at this going through this massive Olympic qualification period. When I get to the end of it, only my five best results matter. They'll combine the score of them five best results and then you're either in the top 18 or you're not. So it's completely different. It's like, or it, or it was for me at least. So like for judo, every time I was fighting, I felt huge pressure to the point where I definitely lost matches because of it. I've been building it up in my head like two, three weeks prior, all the way through. I was cutting a lot of weight. It got to the point where I was cutting weight every two weeks. So the enjoyment just completely disappeared. Whereas with the grappling, I've not been cutting weight. Like apart from the last Polaris, that is, I've not been cutting any weight at all. I've just been showing up to events, like purely enjoying it, uh, holding no expectations on it at all. And I, f- I think I've, that's the reason I've probably been performing a little bit better. That's a huge advantage having done that many competitions when you were young and like individual sports where the pressure is on. How was it being in that pressure environment when you were so young? Probably not having a plan B, I'm not sure. Oh, mate, I had no plan B, which is like, I would absolutely tell anyone now, if you're going to go full-time, like, have a plan B because the gym's gone really well, thankfully, but, like, I absolutely had nothing else. So, yeah, I had a bit of a tough time when I came out of judo and I didn't have anything and I had no aspirations of grappling competitively either. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. It was was a terrible time. But, yeah, as a youngster, I started training full-time when I was 17, which was a good and bad decision. I absolutely hated it at the time because as a youngster, I was training loads anyway. I was in a really good judo club. I was very lucky as our schedule was judo Monday, Wednesday, Friday, freestyle wrestling Tuesday, Thursday, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu on a Sunday. So... Yeah, we were pretty spoilt as kids then. So I was doing that from about 12 to about 17. One of my coaches, this is a bit ridiculous, one of my coaches would even come into my school at lunchtime. Uh, my school used to extend my dinner so I could do an hour of judo, get 15 minutes to eat, and then I could go back to class. So my volume of training was <clears throat> pretty ridiculous from when I was about 12. And then I moved away when I was 17 trained full-time but absolutely hated it um did it for about a year to 18 months but i kind of like lost all my mates didn't have any money because obviously you're not getting supported money-wise very well so it's literally just about training and nothing else and at 17 i was like i could see all my mates going on nights out like as you do having a drink getting like meeting girls, like just what young lads do. And I was missing out on everything. And I had a few bad results in my first year full time. So the competition wasn't really reflecting the sacrifice that I'd made. So I got a little bit frustrated and I moved back to back home. And I had about a year out. When I was about 18, I had about a year out where I was just going back, playing a bit of rugby with my mates, going out with my mates, as you do. And then, yeah, I just thought, right, I can't stop judo when I've been doing it for that long. So I tried full-time at a different place, which is Camberley Judo Club in Surrey, which I absolutely loved. It was a completely different atmosphere. We basically all lived in a cabin. It was like <laughs> literally like one kitchen, 10 bedrooms, all had a bunk bed. 
uh, shared a room with one of your training partners. And yeah, like we trained for about four years up to the Commonwealth. Uh, we had a team of six and three of us won the Commonwealth. So we had a very, a very strong team there at the time. And then that's where I stayed, mate, yeah. And what was it like then switching into grappling after you did finish up with judo? Like I say, I had a tough time to start. So when I was training full-time at Camberley for all them years, like I was really lucky as Carlson Gracie Farnborough started using our facility for jiu-jitsu. So our coach, being a really good coach, Luke Preston's a very good, very good coach, um, he forced us basically to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. So we were cross-training with the Carlson Gracie team that were based there for about four or five years. And then when I stopped judo, I moved back home with no idea what to do. So I moved in with my dad for like three or four months. Started doing some personal training, but I've said this before, it was like personal training, completely unqualified, um, having no clue what I was doing, getting clients just due to me being an athlete, like... Typically one of them blokes who were just getting clients because you were in good shape and you actually had fuck all knowledge about it, really. I was actually making okay money, but I was just an idiot. And I got my own little box flat and I was going out every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like every single week. Just It's almost like I'd kind of lost the excitement of being a competitor and I was trying to replace it with something else. That's probably the worst 18 months of my life. I had no direction whatsoever. I was just drinking three nights a week consistently, every single week, earning good money, but finishing the week with no money every week, just because I was just throwing it away. To the point where I realised, like, I've absolutely got nothing here, I've got no qualifications. And then I went back full-time again. I had no love for judo anymore, I didn't want to do it at all. Simply went back because I didn't have a clue what else I could do other than be an athlete. Went back for two years, realised, like, I'm here for the wrong reasons. Ended up getting a job teaching judo in schools because that's genuinely the only thing I knew. I was working for a company. I'd teach a morning class at 7am before the kids went to school. That was like an hour and a half away from the office, which is ridiculous. I'd come back to the office, sit in the office for like four hours, just doing nothing. And then I'd teach an after-school club and I'd get home at like 6pm. And I was just doing that every day and making absolutely no money. Like I remember just hitting like maximum, maxing out my overdraft every month, just, but having no time to myself either. So that was terrible. And then I got really lucky. And basically when I was a kid, I was about 18 and I was in my judo club back home. The Warrington Wolves in the Super League were doing pre-season training in our gym. And they seen me doing just a strength conditioning session. And they said, do you do a bit of judo or wrestling? I was like, yeah, I've done a bit of both. So he said, you fancy taking a wrestling session for us? And I was like, yeah, well, if you want. So I just took a session for the lads. It's crazy, really. Like, they loved it. Didn't mention anything, but you're talking now at this point, must have been six years later. One of the coaches had spoke to another coach at a rugby club in Hull. And this rugby club had rang me just randomly and asked me if I wanted a job. So I picked up the phone. This bloke was like, oh, do you want to be assistant strength and conditioning coach? So I was like, at the time, I had absolutely no options. I come from a rugby town as well, so to work in the Super League, I, I thought that was unbelievable at the time. So I said, I would love to, mate, but I've absolutely not got one single qualification. So there's no way that you could give me that job. And he just replied and said, no, you'd come as that. We would let you be titled as that and you'd be on the wage for that, but you'd basically just be a wrestling coach. 
So I literally moved to Hull about two weeks later. Um, started doing that. Did that for about 18 months. And in that time, I just opened the gym because there wasn't any gyms in Hull at all. So I opened a, a little box gym in a basement um, and we just sparred twice a week. It was more for my mental health, mate, to be honest, because... I was just working and just drinking. I was just coming home and drinking. I, I didn't even like drinking. It was just, I wasn't in the right mindset whatsoever. So I thought, if I spar twice a week and I go to sparring and someone batters me because I'm unfit, it's going to stop me drinking. So we opened the little basement. I put one gi session sparring on a Tuesday, one no gi session sparring on a Thursday, zero technique. And a load of lads in other just meet up. We just batter each other for an hour and a half say bye, see you again Thursday. We'd do that twice a week. And then I ended up building a full-time gym out of it. Just kept getting busier and busier. And we'd add one day and then that was busy. Moved to a new facility, added four days a night, four week, uh, four nights a week. They all got busy, five, six nights a week, put a couple of mornings on and now we've moved again and we're full-time and I've quit my job. So it's worked out somehow. Funny looking back on things like that, that a lot of luck actually plays into it. And oh. at the time, you're just going with the flow. But I hope you got a few Ippons anyway on the nights out as well. Just to keep, <laughs> yeah. just to keep, the, just keep the training up. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that quiet. But how has it been having your own gym and building up your own students? Because one of the things I actually miss about playing other sports, I played loads of sports when I was a teenager before starting Jiu-Jitsu. But I miss the crack that we would have with the team, especially like all the different school teams going on rugby trips and just just messing and having a great time and stuff. And sometimes with jujitsu, I might be the only one competing at a competition. I go and like, it's fun, but you miss out on that team. There's something about it that kind of takes the pressure off and takes your mind off the competition that helps you have a better performance. 100% mate. And you know what, mate, like I've actually tried to keep our gym as close to that as possible. We arrange session and i call them sessions because we just go out and we'll drink fucking two days we arrange that though because like where i come from is a rugby town and it's like i've got mates who i've not seen for six years but i know if i bump into them they're still like my best mate and it's because of the times that we've been through and some of them are just drunk but they're like some of the best times of your life so like as as much as we are we train really hard in the gym. It's, it is. We train. It's very physical training, but I can't even say there's anyone in the gym that doesn't get on. Like, it's just an unbelievable atmosphere. We arrange regular nights out. One thing I've tried to do as well, which I think is another reason that it's definitely helped me personally, and it's a little bit crazy, is like when we've been doing all these big tournaments, like ADCC trials and stuff, I've not had a coach. Like, I've literally just took three of my mates and it's probably not the cleverest thing, but like for me mentally, like I've got to the point now where I kind of like having fun on the trips and like, like for me now, an absolute nightmare for me now would be to travel somewhere completely on my own, probably like I did at the ADCC Worlds actually, to just fly out on my own, spend five days in an hotel on my own, go and fight someone on my own and then come home on my own. It's just like... It's fantastic. I've been to the ADCC World. It was a great experience. But if someone asked me, what did you do out there? And I've not done anything. It feels like it's almost a bit of a waste. Where All the Polaris shows we've been doing recently, I've just gone with the same lads, like four of us. One of my blue belts has cornered me against some of the best people in the world, which is just crazy because 
he just in my chair shouting two, four, six, eight, ten as in the time. But I think half the reason it's gone well is because of that factor. Like, there's just nothing on it. We're just going out having a bit of a laugh and we're going having a beer after it. And that, that mentality's helped me personally a lot. What was your first step into getting into those kind of high-level competitions? Because it seems like you came out of nowhere. Like I said, I had no intentions of actually competing in grappling. And funnily enough, in judo, we trained a lot of nogi when we trained judo. Just because like a lot of the styles in judo, like Eastern European, is very wrestling-based. So we to counteract that, we'd, we'd wrestle a lot, we'd grapple a lot. Uh, we'd just take the geese off and train a lot. So it was something I was always pr- pretty comfortable with. I never ever had ambitions of actually competing and ADCC was never in my head. How I got into the competitions again was completely unplanned. I'd opened my own gym about six months prior and I genuinely wasn't training. My focus was solely to build this gym. So I was like trying to make the sessions as good as I could, uh, teaching as much as I could, like helping people as much as I could, just so people would come back basically. And when I was doing this, Chris Thompson messaged me randomly and said, he said, he's at 85 kilos though. He's a black belt. Um, what belt are you? And I was only purple at the time. So I thought, he's not going to give me a different purple. So I'll tell him I'm brown. So I just basically lied and I said, I'm a brown belt. And he was like, all oh, right, uh, what are you weighing? I was literally about 93 kilos at the time. And I had a week. And he's like, the match is 85. So I said, I'm 87. I've only got two kilos. So he's like, oh, do you want it then? So I was like, yeah, I'll have it, mate, yeah. So it was that ridiculous. Like, I was hardly training at all. It was really hard to get the weight off. So the Saturday morning of Grapple Fest, I still had three kilos left. And we have a, we have a sparring session at Carlson's at 10 a.m. So looking back, it's ridiculous. But that Saturday, I put a sweatsuit on and did our sparring session. So I did 10 rounds Saturday morning. And then we drove down to Liverpool and made weight and then fought on Grapple Fest. I was, it's genuinely the worst performance I've ever had in my life. Like, if you watch that match, it's absolutely awful. I just sat on him and held him for as long as I could, and I ended up squeezing a decision somehow. But because I'd done Chris a favour and took it on short notice, he said, we'll have you back. And I ended up beating Paul Lukowski after that, and then Pixley after that from Daisy Fresh. And then I beat a decent lad at an All-Stars tournament, Yanis uh, Reekstins. And then people were just tagging me, like, friends. I hadn't asked anyone to do it. Like, I liked that they were doing it, but I never asked. And they were all tagging me in Polaris. Um, so Polaris put me on the prelims. I scraped a decision against Max Bickerton, who's really good as well. Um, and then it just went on from there, mate. I fought Freddie, who I've done a little bit of training with in the past, which Freddie had done a seminar at my gym four months before that and absolutely battered me. So when Matt Benyon asked me to do that, I was a bit like, fuck's sake, I'm not going to say no, but I'm in for a beating here. I ended up beating him somehow, and then obviously I got hunger, and yeah. It's just gone on, mate, completely unplanned. I've, I've not tried to push myself at all, as in like, yeah, I don't really know how it's happened, mate, to be honest. I've just kept myself fit, enjoyed what I'm doing, and it's just worked out somehow. And would you be proud of the wins compared to judo before? Like, how do you feel when, you, when you're pushing on, you're going in the right direction, you're qualifying for things, winning things? Does it have a similar feeling to before or is it just completely different? It is completely different, mate. It's like genuinely now, when, if I'm winning a match now, I see it more, more for me gym because it's still, it's still actually not a priority. Like, 
I just I I enjoy competing. Like we were, when we got locked down for six months, I, I started training MMA because my mate runs an MMA gym, and he had some professional fighters who were allowed to train. So I said I want to train with them because I wasn't allowed to open mine. And my mate said, okay, if you get a pro license and fight, you can train. So I ended <laughs> up fighting MMA. Just like... I had just so you could pro- train during the lockdown. Literally, like, I just like training. I love competing. But for me, it was like the Olympic Games for judo was such a big aim from when I was, like, 14 that so much happened in my head now where, I li- honestly, like, I don't think people believe that I'm being honest when I say, like, at Polaris and ADCC and stuff. I'm feeling zero pressure and I'm actually not bothered, but that is genuinely the truth because the Olympic Games since being like 14, 15 was literally all I wanted to do and I put so much pressure on them events that now if I get my back tuck and choked off onto Colvin at Polaris like I did last time, it's absolutely shit for about three seconds. But then I realised like this wasn't my lifetime goal. Do you know what I mean? I'm just running the gym and trying to... Sh- Basically, for me, I'm just trying to show the people in the gym that with our simple style of grappling that they can do pretty well. Them probably do better than me, seeing as they're actually taking it more serious and training. Some of them are training like 14, 15 times a week now. Where I'm just sparring a few times a week with my mates, doing a bit of strength conditioning, and I don't even drill anymore, mate. I don't even have time to drill. I'm just a coach, so it's like... If I can get to this point doing this, obviously my background helps as well, but I'm now helping you a lot and you're training 15 times a week. So it's there if you want it, basically. That's what I'm trying to do for them. But how is it training with less experienced people compared to training before where everyone is good? Because I even feel sometimes when I train at a gym for too long, that's like very high level. The rounds are good and I get tough and used to trying to use my techniques with a bit of strength and stuff. But... I feel like I don't improve my offense as much. I'm not as sharp because it's just everyone is a bit almost too good to practice things on. Like, how do you find the difference there? Yeah, definitely. Like like I said, when I was at Campbell, everyone was really high level. Like three of the team obviously won the Commonwealth Games in the same Commonwealth Games, all at different weights. It was a really, really good level. But it was like we trained together that much that you almost hit a wall and you were stale. You kind of knew whatever, you all knew what each other were going to do. So that's why I'm like a huge advocate for cross training because judo was like, judo's built that into me to the point where it was like, right, you've got a great training group, but it's not enough. This is just a base. It's like we were always told, like, you've got a very good base here at home where you can get quality sparring, you can get quality technical work, but you have to get out and go out and experience other styles find out what mistakes you're making because these people that we're training with were so good but I knew what they were doing and they knew what I were doing I was getting away with stuff and I only found that out when I was going abroad it's like we'd regularly regularly go to France um actually it's where the IBJJF Europeans is going to be at the beginning of next year so that institute where that tournament is is like the second best place to train behind INSEC in France but it's inset. you have to get an invitation. Um, the Institute, literally, it's got a Formula One over the road. You just get Euro, the Euro train straight through, jump in the Formula One, it costs you about 150 quid for a week. And then you just, you've got a 10 metre walk into the Institute, which is like phenomenal. You're talking like 100 black belts on the mat, just sparkling. 
two hours straight every night. Uh, so we'd go there more or less. Got to the point before, towards the end of the qualification, where we'd go more or less every six weeks and just get some really, really good sparring. And then we'd come back with a handful of stuff that hadn't worked. And then we'd just have something to drill and get better at. So, like, in terms of our own training now, like now, what have we got now? We've got about six purple belts. You are a good standard, to be fair. And we've got about 15 blue belts and a handful of them probably could be a purple belt. But it's like with, when I'm sparring with them, I'm just very playful, putting myself in really bad positions. Like, I've kind of, like, I'm a bit over the top of everything. Like, I, for, like, the last 15 years, I've just written everything down. And I still do that to this day. So, like, I've kind of got my game as such written. Like, for every position, I kind of have three things that I would go to. Um, so I'll put myself in them weaker positions when I'm training in our gym. Um, play with leg locks a lot, which I would never do in a tournament because I'm probably <laughs> nowhere near the level of someone like yourself. But play with them just in case I'm in that hole sometimes and I've been there before. And then we are fortunate. I'm very friendly with a gym in Bradford called Matterley House or Ben Bennett. He's gym. So... They come over to us every Friday and we go over there some Tuesdays as well. And luckily for me, they're heavily into the leg locks. So I'm trying to pass and they're diving all over my legs, which is perfect for me. So yeah, mate, I'm just trying to keep the same sort of attitude. Like the sparring I'm getting at our gym is very hard physically. Skill-wise at the moment, it's probably not like it was at Camberley. But when I had that at Camberley, I still needed to get out anyway. For me, not loads has changed. I'm aspiring at the, my place. For me, is a bit more playful uh, with a high pace to train my conditioning. And then when I get out and fight Ben, Ben Bennett is a black belt and he gets other black belts over as well. Test my stronger parts of my game and see what problems I'm getting there and then I can come back and work on them when I'm being playful. So it seems to be doing all right and yeah. And when you see the high-level judo black belts training, how is it different than some of the high-level jiu-jitsu guys you've seen training? Is it much more planned out? Are they doing more sparring, less sparring? And is there any lessons that you could take away from it? I obviously can't speak for all the jiu-jitsu lads because obviously some will do it different to others. But one thing, like, and I think it helps me a lot in jiu-jitsu as well, is that... When we were doing judo, it was just like your schedule was non-negotiable. Do you know what I mean? In jiu-jitsu, I just, I don't know. Like, again, I'm going to say it again. I'm not saying it to everyone because there will be definitely people that are not like this. But I think there's a lot of people in jiu-jitsu where it's like, my body's tired today, I'm going to have a day off. We just wasn't allowed to do that, which is probably scientifically wrong. But, like, when we were at Cambly, it was like, if I woke up on a Wednesday broken, which I was every Wednesday... Went next door and said to Luke, Luke, I'm tired today, mate, and have the day off. He'd be like, it just, I would never have said that because it just wasn't an option. Like, I would know on a Monday that I'm doing 15 sessions that week. If I'm broke on Wednesday, I was still doing it. And like I said, it's probably not right, but it produced results. And I'm not sure in some places the work ethic's like that. And I, do, I genuinely don't think... And I think there's different ways of doing stuff as well. Like we do a lot of situational work as well. It wouldn't just be like, right, spar 10 rounds every day and you get good. Uh, we focused a lot on grip fighting. Um, some rounds we could only use foot sweeps. Some rounds would just be groundwork. So 
we actually split like split up the game into segments and like focused on them a lot. It wasn't just role. So yeah, like I've tried to build it into our gym, especially with the people who are trying to fight MMA. I've tried to be a bit stricter with them. With some, it's definitely worked. With some, it hasn't. It's probably a bit of an old school mentality, but if someone's ill or got a serious injury, then I'd be the first one to say rest. But again, a physio is probably going to kill me. But if it could be strapped, I'd say just fucking strap it and you do what's on schedule. Yeah, it's probably not right, but it's just how it was at Cambly and it seemed to work. Yeah, because even if it's not maybe the perfect scientific approach, doing it the other way probably has more negatives than the negatives of kind of always finding an excuse here, an excuse there. That's one of the best pieces of advice I actually got early in my career. I heard an interview with Hafa Mendez and someone was asking him, what's the secret for being good at jiu-jitsu? And he said, the secret is there's no secret. And then the interviewer was like, I give us something. And he said, okay, well, I think if there is a secret, it's stick to the schedule because then you let your mind control your body instead of the other way around. And even then I thought that's good advice. And I would always try and plan out the week or the month ahead. And even if I was only able to train once a day, I would I would still make the schedule for once a day, you know, and at least go and get some work in. And it actually did help a lot. I think it just forces you to be consistent. You miss a, miss a few sessions because you're sore, but not injured. Doing exactly like doing this sport, how many times are you going to wake up sore? I think you've almost got to differentiate what's being sore and what's being injured and do that pretty early on, I, I think. And I guess the coaches aren't strict on people training or missing training. In Ireland, if you go out to the pub and you're not drinking, you'd nearly need a doctor's note to show your friends. <laughs> but then you're playing yeah. but then you're playing on the sports team and like when you're a kid if you're not at training you're not playing the matches but then jiu-jitsu sometimes it's the other way around like you can not really train properly and you can still do the matches and the coach doesn't say anything yeah mate do you know what that's massive because it's like it's it's hard to do that like now i'm running a gym you've got some people that are competing 80 percent of the gym is just recreational so it's almost like you can't you can't you've got to be careful how you are like when i was at camberley we'd all everyone at camberley had left home and relocated to be full time so you'd more or less signed a piece of paper saying tell me what to do but sometimes i i fall into it sometimes and like i'm going crazy because this person has failed to do this in technique and i'm like if you were here last night you would have this now i've been working this for four weeks then i off and then I think he might not even be that serious about it you know what I mean he might just be here because he wants to enjoy it whereas like some of the MMA lads at the minute because we've got a decent team of MMA lads at the minute training to fight I've kind of took that as in like and more for them than for me if you're doing MMA like the bloke that you're standing opposite is actually trying to hurt you you've kind of to me you've kind of signed a piece of paper saying make sure I'm ready so I've kind of been really diving on the back of them lads and like I said for some of them they've gone on leaps and bounds and some of them are broke and absolutely hate it but I'm just like I'm kind of doing it for you but yeah I find it one of the things running a gym very tough is who's recreational because even for me like you've got some people who are recreational but they still fight empire every week and I know empire isn't important but if you go into a competition I'd, I'd like to think you want to win these comps are like 75 quid nowadays. I don't want you to spend 75 quid, go there and get battered in front of your fucking family. You know what I mean? So, yeah, 
I find it hard to um, manage that and just try and not drag across them full-time rules, if such, and try and enforce them on everyone. But it's a tough thing to do when your gym's more or less 60-40 recreational competition. And if someone came to you and said, oh, and I have three months, I want to be at least competent on my feet, what would be the first things you would have them doing? Because I noticed with a lot of jiu-jitsu guys, they're not necessarily terrible at maybe the entries and the finishes, but there's just something, there's some kind of awkwardness that a lot of people have in the stand-up with the grip fighting and what do I do? How do I off-balance them? How do I keep my balance? What would be some little insights you'd have to how you could at least look and feel more comfortable standing up? I think it's like the... It's like the wrestling, mate. I think like all the jujitsu. Well, a lot of people in jujitsu think stand up is wrestling. Like I've got to be a wrestler, and I completely disagree with that because I think wrestling's really fucking hard. If you were a personal trainer, you got your average Joe to walk in the gym and ask him to do a back squat. He probably won't be able to do it. But then your average Joe walks in a jujitsu gym, and you're going to tell him to stagger his stance, do a split squat and explode out of it into a double leg. This bloke couldn't do a back squat with his legs shoulder width apart, but you're going to ask him to stagger, do a split squat, and then explode out of it. It's just not realistic. And I don't I don't even think you need it either. I think, like, like if, I, if someone walked into me completely day one, I would start with the stance and the footwork so they can actually move properly. I think, like, one of the first things I spot with quite a few jiu-jitsu players is, they just can't move. Like the feet, they move and the feet cross. It's like a complete level one rule that your knees have got to almost be like there's a medicine ball between your knees all the time. As soon as your feet come across each other, especially or anywhere near touching, like for someone who's competent, not even good, for someone who's competent on the feet, if I notice that your feet are touching or crossing, then am I ever going to sweep you or attack your legs the second that they touch? which is going to be every time you step if you're doing that. So I'd work stance and footwork first. And then one thing that I carry over from judo is the grips. Because for in judo, it was like no matter how good you are at judo, if he's better than you at gripping, you're not going to be able to get your grips to throw him anyway. Always grips before movements and throwing. So it'd be stance and footwork and movement. And then it would be grips. So in no gi, literally just controlling the hands or wrist control rather than just going to a default position of a 50-50 collar tie. Actually teaching them how to work into a safe position, so like getting a collar tie with your elbow going down the line of their chest so they can't just get under hooks, for one. Um, the importance of controlling the wrists to get inside position rather than, again, just going to a default 50-50 collar tie. And then after that, I just teach very, very basic things. So like, I'd just say, try and get to chest to back headlock or a rear body lock. You can do that without being any, having any explosive muscle in you whatsoever. Like I could teach someone to kick their lead leg so they step back. And as they step back, snap them down, and then you've got your chest to back headlock. You could teach anyone an arm drag. You could teach anyone a two-on-one Russian tie could teach anyone a basic slide by and once they've got these basic moves from a front to get to a front headlock and a rear body lock then i just do some very very simple footwork so not foot sweeps like sweeps are nice but to actually learn a foot sweep and use it effectively is like years of training 
it's like as good as they look, you foot sweep someone, they land in guard, so now you've got a pass guard. It's like, it's not that good position really. So I would teach people how to use feet, manipulating their upper body with their hands, hit the feet at the same time. So they're not sweeping them with them, but they're breaking the posture with them, which will get to an headlock or a rear body lock. So that's how we do it at the gym, just keep it really simple. A lot of them do well on the feet, but if they went into a freestyle wrestling comp, they get demolished. And like them two positions for me is the reasons you want them is obviously because you can submit someone from them as well. A double leg, you double leg someone, it's fantastic, but you land in a close guard. You know what I mean, or like you go into a single leg and they sprawl and you're in a front headlock. It's like there's so much risk for two points if you're in a points comp or sub only. You've literally got nothing out of it other than maybe a little highlight reel at the end. Like It's just so much risk for a very small reward in terms of actual freestyle wrestling techniques, I think. That's true. And what kind of goals do you have coming up soon? At the minute, mate, I'm in a bit of a sticky patch at the minute. Obviously, I'd signed the contract with Polaris, which was, I was really happy with. So next year, there'll obviously be some matches on that. But in terms of actual goals right now, it's just personal goals just to keep progressing my own game. Believe it or not, I'm actually doing a lot of work off my back. Probably not planning on coming out and using that in a tournament, but... I find when I've been put on my back against the top lads, it's not it's been not been as simple for me as just standing up. Like I'm a big believer in like you don't have to be great at everything, but you have to be familiar with everything. So just basically working all my weaknesses. Goals for now are like to help the people in the gym. Some like like I said, we've got a lot of lads fighting MMA. So I'm actually like sparring with them and trying to help them as much as I can. Keep building the gym and then I just keep myself in that condition from what I'm doing anyway and then when Polaris pops up I'll hopefully get some decent matches on there nice so I'm looking forward to seeing it looking forward to see you back on the mats again soon thanks again for coming on really appreciate it oh, thanks for having me mate it's good to see you again bud. big thanks to Owen for coming on the show if you enjoyed the episode don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends we'll be back with the podcast next week with another great guest so until then Slánagas Bannacht Slánagas